0: The sermon text for today is Ephesians four twenty five through thirty two. The Old Testament reading will come from Psalm thirty seven, verses one through eleven. Psalm thirty seven, verses one through eleven. If you would turn there now, the psalmist says, "Fret not yourself because of evil doers; be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb." Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evil doers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace." Let us go now to Ephesians 4 and read verses 25 through 32, which is our sermon text for today. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So far the reading of God's most holy word. Our prayer is that the Lord would add His blessing to the preaching of it today. The question, how will we be changed is at the very heart of the passage that we are considering today. In fact, this question has been the concern of the Apostle ever since he uttered the words, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk worthy, he says. What does that worthy walk look like? And how will it be that those who once walked in darkness will be changed so that they now walk in the light of Christ? As you know, men and women do not easily change their ways. And yet, in Christ, change is expected. In fact, it is unthinkable that one who has faith in Christ would continue to walk according to the way of the world. But how will this change be brought about? That is the question, I think, that the Apostle is dealing with here in Ephesians chapter 4 in verses four in verses seven through sixteen of Chapter Four, we learned among other things that God will use the external means of the preaching and teaching of Scripture to change His people so that they walk worthily in verses seventeen through twenty four we learned that a worthy walk will proceed from a regenerated spirit. This principle is so very important to understand the one who has faith in Christ will certainly change. His or her ways because they themselves have been changed. They have been recreated and are being renewed by the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. A new way of life is inevitable then. I'm not saying that it will all come at once or that it will come in perfection. But it will inevitably come. That new way of life will spring forth from the new life that has been wrought within the Christian by the grace of God and by the agency of the Spirit Elsewhere Paul exhorts the Christians saying do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect and this will happen in the believer over time uh, through the process of sanctification uh, the mind will be transformed Uh, it will be renewed by the word of God and the way of life will eventually change and Paul also has said in another place, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is something that has been done to us by God, by His Word and by His Spirit. Our obedience to Christ proceeds from this regenerated Spirit. Our obedience to Christ proceeds from this renewed mind, a mind once more renewed by the Spirit of God. And the Word of God. Now, if this were all that the Apostle had to say about the sanctification of the believer, then I suppose one might conclude that the only thing for the Christian to do would be to hear the Scriptures and to pray. Are you tracking along with me here? If this were all that the Apostle said to us, then what would be our responsibility except to simply consistently hear the Scriptures, uh, to read it ourselves, to Uh, to listen to it read and preached, and to pray. In other words, if it were true that transformation is brought about only through the renewal of the mind by the Scriptures and by the regenerating and renewing work of the Holy Spirit, then the child of God would need only to ingest the Scriptures and to pray that God would, by His grace, renew them in the inner man. But I want for you to notice that the Apostle has more to say. He also exhorts the believer to put off the old self and to put on the new. This is what He commands us to do. This is His exhortation. Put off the old self and put on the new. This we encountered in the previous passage. But here this idea of putting off and putting on is fleshed out in the text that is before us. The question, how will we be changed, is at the very heart of the passage that we are considering today. Uh, And we are to give careful attention uh, to all that the Apostle has to say here uh, in, in this passage, we, brothers and sisters, are to be obedient Christians. Uh, friends, I hope that you pray. I hope that you pray often and fervently, requesting, among other things, that the Lord would, by his grace, transform your heart and renew your mind. This is, in fact, one of the things that we are to pray for under the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. When we pray, Thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven we are praying that God by His grace would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to His will in all things as the angels do in heaven. And so when we say, Thy will be done, we are saying, Father, uh, change us and, and enable us, renew us so that we are able to obey You. Just as the angels in heaven, the elect angels who are not fallen, they perfectly obey You day and night. They offer up to You worship and praise, perfectly so. Make us like them to where our greatest desire is to do Your will. And friends, I do hope that you are committed to hearing the Scriptures, knowing that God will use His Word to transform our minds. And so, read the Scriptures often. Read them yourselves. Listen to the Word read and preached. Memorize the Scriptures. Meditate upon them. This is one of the means that God will use to change His people. And so, commit yourselves to the Word of God. Take it in. Ingest it. It is so important that we do. But having prayed... And having faithfully received God's holy word, do not neglect this most important thing. Rise up and obey. Decide to daily and momentarily put off the old man and to put on the new, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Devote yourself to a life that is holy. And friends, I'm afraid that this is the thing that is so often neglected. Obedience, pure and simple. So yes, it is true, God must change you by His Word. Yes, God has recreated you, and He is renewing you, even still by His Spirit. But never must we neglect obedience, pure and simple. We must choose to obey Him and all things. This is what the Apostle James says so beautifully, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So hear the word of God, but be devoted to obedience, brothers and sisters, and hear The Apostle Paul, after teaching that a worthy walk can only proceed from a renewed spirit, he exhorts the believer to diligently put off the old self and to put on the new. Notice that in the passage that is before us today we encounter a whole slew of imperatives or commands. So here they are. We have finally come to that portion of Ephesians that is packed, filled with imperatives. At first glance they might seem to be Random, As if the Apostle is commanding us this and he is commanding us that. But upon closer examination we find that they are commands relating to our thinking, speaking, and doing. The point is this I think. The Christian having been recreated and renewed by the grace of God is now to obey God in thought, in word, and in deed. First of all, consider Paul's command regarding our speaking. The Christian's worthy walk is to involve worthy speech. In verse 25, Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The one who has been recreated in Christ is to put away falsehood. This is what he is to put off. Falsehood takes many forms. Most obviously, the Christian is to cease from lying. The one who has been recreated and renewed in Christ is to obey the ninth commandment, which says, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. But we must learn to think more broadly about the ninth commandment, and also this exhortation from the apostle to put away falsehood. Not only is the Christian to cease from uttering bold-faced lies, We are also to put away, to quote our catechism, whatsoever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. We are to put away, therefore, flattery. We are to put away gossip and slander. We are to put away all forms of manipulation. We are to cease from any and all distortions of the truth. I think this is what it means to... Put away falsehood. This is not simply a command to not tell bold faced lies, but it is a command to put away all forms of falsehood, any and all distortion of the truth. But pay careful attention to this. The apostle does not only exhort the Christian to put something off or away, but he also exhorts, commands the Christian to put something new on in its. And this is the pattern throughout this passage. Put something off, he says, and put something else on in its place. Brothers and sisters, do not neglect to put on holiness. Do not neglect to put on obedience. It is not just that we are called to cease from sin, but we are in fact to proceed to walk in a worthy manner, having been renewed in Christ Jesus. The one who has been recreated and renewed in Christ is to put off the old self and he is to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And what is the Christian to put on in the place of falsehood? Well, Paul says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Once again, we should learn to think more broadly about telling the truth. Paul is not only commanding us to not lie, but to Commit ourselves to promoting the truth instead. We are to promote the truth with one another. These two things, not lying and telling the truth, should not be conflated. What I mean by that is, it is possible to not lie, but to also fail to promote the truth by remaining silent. Are you with me on this? Simply choosing not to tell a lie does not mean that you have promoted the truth. It is possible to do the one and and not the other. Paul forbids this way of life. Negatively, the Christian is to put away falsehood, but positively, the Christian is also to speak the truth with his neighbor. And why is this? Well, he he gives the reason, for we are members one of another, he says. Uh, This statement, I think, corresponds to what Paul has already said back in 4.15, where he exhorted us to speak the truth in love. Truth always builds up. Truth is light to our path. We are to speak the truth in love. We are to speak the truth for mutual edification. For we are members of one another within Christ's church. And so we together must be committed to not only not lying to one another. But to in fact promoting the truth amongst ourselves. Telling the truth to one another out of love for one another. We are members of one another if we are united to Christ Jesus by faith. This exhortation from the Apostle to speak the truth is in fact what the Ninth Commandment requires. Again, our Catechism puts it beautifully. In question 82 it asks, what is required in the Ninth Commandment? It has already dealt with the question, what is forbidden in the Ninth Commandment? But what does it require? And the answer that is given is that the Ninth Commandment requires the maintaining And promoting of truth between man and man and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness bearing. And so here is the standard for the Christian. Put off all forms of falsehood and in its place put on truth telling. Speak the truth in love. Promote the truth. Be eager to see it maintained in your midst. And so I ask you, by way of application, Christian, now that you have been recreated and are being renewed in Christ, are you committed to maintaining and promoting the truth between man and man? Certainly this includes putting away falsehood, but it also involves speaking the truth with your neighbor. And doing this well requires wisdom. It also requires tactfulness. I do think that some might succeed in speaking the truth, but forget to do it in love. And notice also that Paul does not command us here to promote our opinions. We must learn to distinguish between the truth and opinion. And that is not always easy. But are you committed to putting away falsehood and speaking the truth with your neighbor as Paul here commands? I trust that we together will flourish if truth is promoted in our midst. The broader principle being established is this. Now that we have been renewed in Christ, we are to use our words, not for evil, but only for good. We are to put away all forms of falsehood, and we are to speak the truth. We are to put off the old self, and we are to put on the new. This is the broader principle being promoted by the Apostle here. Being renewed in Christ, we are to use our words to build up and not to tear down. In verse 29, we find another statement pertaining to the use of the tongue There Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Don't let it happen. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I would encourage you to put this verse to memory. Verse 29. It is so beautiful. It it is so helpful, I think, for us as we learn to control our tongue Our tongue, which James says, can be so unruly and so destructive. Put this verse to memory. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, the apostle says. Uh, Corrupting talk is talk that is unwholesome and harmful. The word translated as corrupting has to do with um, that which causes decay. Don't let any decaying words proceed from your mouth, the Apostle says. And notice that he does not give exceptions to this rule. He does not say, unless the brother is wrong, unless he has it coming, or unless you are really, really angry, tired, or hungry. He does not say, unless you are joking, unless you are using sarcasm. He simply says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Don't let Any word proceed, march out of your mouth, that is going to lead to destruction or decay. And this is contrasted with the phrase, but only such as is good for building up. So once again, put off corrupting talk and put on constructive talk in its place. Lay aside all talk that breaks down and take up talk that builds up instead unless we think that the apostle is forbidding firm and confrontational speech he adds this little phrase as fits the occasion did you notice that phrase in other words there is a time and place for words that are soft and gentle there there is also a time and place for words that are strong and firm and we must learn to speak in a way that is fitting to the situation that we are in. Never should our words break down. The Christian is always to speak so as to build up. And this includes those moments where a firm rebuke is fitting. We are to use our words in such a way that they give grace to those who hear. Lastly, look down at verse 31 where we read, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Uh, clamor here refers to loud screaming or shouting. Slander to slander is to speak against someone in such a way so as to do damage to their reputation. And these things are to be put away from the Christian. Instead, we are to be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave us. And so by way of application, I will add this. Please reflect more deeply upon what Paul commands here regarding our speech. And I will ask you, are you walking worthily in your speech? Have you put away lying? Do you speak the truth in love? Have you put away all corrupt talk? And do you build up with your words instead? I can feel the conviction in the room right now, I think, brothers and sisters. Um, This is something that we all struggle with. As I mentioned earlier, James identifies the tongue as the most difficult member of our bodies to control. And also he identifies it as the most destructive. Even though it's so small, it can spark such a large forest fire. It can turn the course of life in any which way. Um, it, It can just be used so beautifully to build up and conversely it can be used to cause so much destruction. And so I am asking you to put this verse, verse 29, to memory and to reflect later about this question, are you you using your tongue to the glory of God? Are you walking worthily in this world regarding your speech And brothers and sisters, please do not forget to put on as you go about the business of putting off. uh, Please understand this principle. The apostle is not only calling you to cease from tearing down with your words. That you must do. But he is also exhorting you to use your words to build others up. We must be committed to this. It is not enough for the Christian just to learn to remain silent. That's probably a step in the right direction if you are giving if you were given to rage, if you were given to outbursts of anger, uh, learning to be silent and to hold your tongue is a step in the right direction. But more than that, we must, use, we must learn to speak the truth. We must learn to speak so as to build up. And I want for you to think of all the good that a husband or wife could do for their spouse if they would only learn to do this very thing. To cease from tearing down with their words and to take up the habit of building the other up. Think of the life that would breathe into the marriage relationship. Think of how good it would be for the other. Think of the good that the mother or father could do for their children if they would not only cease from tearing down with their words, but take up the habit of building the children up. Think of the good that siblings would do for one another in the home. Think of the good that we would do for one another if we would not only put aside our old way of speaking, but would learn to speak according to the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, this is something you must choose to do. You will be able to do it only because God has created you anew. And you will be able to do it only by God's grace and with His help as He renews you by His word and spirit. That is all true, but this is something you must choose to do. At some point, you must simply decide to be done with that old way of life, to be done with the old self, to put it off, to lay it aside, and to take up the new life that is yours in Christ Jesus. Secondly, consider Paul's command regarding our thoughts. Not only as a Christian to walk worthy in regard to speech, but also to maintain a holy thought life. Indeed, our words and our actions Uh, Do not proceed from us spontaneously, but they emerge from the inner man. And so, how vital it is, therefore, to take every thought and emotion captive to obey Christ. In verse 26, we read these words Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Friends, anger is not a sin. Christ himself experienced the emotion of anger, and rightly so. In fact, it is right and good for us to feel the emotion of anger when we encounter that which is contrary to God's law. Sin, our own sin, or even the sin of others, should anger us to a degree. When we see oppression in the world, that should anger us. When we see injustice in the world, that should anger us. Anger itself is not a sin. So please pay careful attention here. The verb translated be angry at the beginning of verse 26 is in fact in the imperative mood. It is a command. It is right for us to be angry provided that we are angry about the right things. There is righteous anger and there is unrighteous anger. Anger is sinful when it is in response to the wrong thing. What is it that angers you the most, brothers and sisters, or most often? Is it not... Sometimes, when we don't get our way, that we grow most angry. We should be angered when God's law is violated, when His will is resisted, but we so often grow angry when when our way is not fulfilled, when our desires are not fulfilled, rather. Anger is also sinful when it moves us to rage. It seems to me that this is what Paul has in mind when he says Be angry and do not sin. In other words, be angry about things that are sinful and unjust, but do not allow that righteous emotion to drive you to rage. Rage is anger that has exploded out of control. As I have said, anger may be righteous, but rage is never righteous. Be angry and do not sin, the apostle says. And anger is sinful when it turns to bitterness within the heart. If rage is anger that has exploded out of control, bitterness is anger that has been allowed to fester within the heart like a slow burning fire. And a Christian must never allow anger, even if it is righteous anger, to turn into bitterness. And this is what Paul is concerned to guard against when he says this, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, if someone or something has angered you, and if it is right that you are angry, you must not explode with anger, but neither are you to allow that anger to burn slowly within you, to fester and to result in bitterness. Instead, you must deal with the issue appropriately, whatever it is, and having dealt with the issue appropriately, you are to forgive from the heart. If the person repents... Forgiveness is to be transacted with the words, I forgive you. But if repentance is not expressed, even still we are to forgive from the heart and leave it to the wrath of God. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, the scriptures say, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That is Romans 12, 19. Paul revisits this theme in verse 31 of Ephesians 4 where he says most directly, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Notice the words bitterness, wrath, and anger here. These are all emotions that are felt within. These reside within the inner man, within the heart and mind, and Paul is commanding the Christian to put them away. The word bitterness refers to Intense resentment or hate within the heart. The word wrath refers to intense anger characterized by outbursts. The word anger here in this context must have the sense of fury. These passions are to be put away from the believer. And in place of these we are to be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Kind here might also be translated as gracious. Tender-hearted means that we are to be compassionate and affectionate. You are to forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Put off the old self, friends. That is what Paul is saying. And put on the new. And this must be done even within the inner man. It will not do to change our words and our deeds only. For these proceed from the heart. We must also Put away bitterness, wrath, and anger. And pay careful attention to Paul's warning where he says, Give no opportunity to the devil. Did you hear that? When he is talking about controlling our inner thought life and walking in a worthy manner in that regard, he gives this warning, Give no opportunity to the devil. The word opportunity might also be translated as place or foothold. And the point is this, when we fail to honor Christ in the inner man, when we allow our thoughts and emotions to go unchecked and to run afoul, we give the evil, evil one territory where he is able to gain a foothold in, his, in, in our lives and from that place to advance and to gain victory. If you allow bitterness, wrath, and anger to reside within you, you give the evil one a foothold in your heart. And if he has a foothold in your heart, then he has a foothold in your marriage. He has a foothold in your family. He even has a foothold within the church of Christ. And Paul is here saying, do not give him an opportunity. Don't surrender an inch of territory to him. Drive him out completely by keeping your heart pure. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Thirdly and lastly, consider Paul's command regarding our deeds. Not only is the Christian to walk worthily in regard to thought and word, but also in deed. Paul addresses this in verse 28 where he says, Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so our new life in Christ is to manifest itself in a new way of life. Instead of living for self, the Christian is now to live for the good of others. And the transformation of the thief who takes from others into the worker who gives serves as Paul's example of this. And by the way, I think this is what is going on throughout this passage. Paul is concerned to say, in general, walk worthy. He is concerned to say to us, uh, in general, put off the old self and put on the new. Do this, brothers and sisters, in thought. Do this in word. Do this in deed. And instead of listing every sin of the mind, instead of listing every Sin of the mouth, instead of listing every sin that we might do, he puts forth little examples. He puts forth little examples so that we might take them in and learn to think more broadly. Brothers and sisters, it is not only that we're to put off falsehood and to build up with our words instead, but every word that proceeds from our mouth is to be worthy in Christ, worthy of Him. Uh, The same can be said about the thought life and the emotions that are felt in the heart. It is not just anger and bitterness that we're to be concerned with, but every impure thought is to be put away from us. We are to walk worthily in the mind and in, in the heart. And this is also true of our doing, of our deeds. It's not just thievery that is to be put away and good, honest work put in its place, but rather we are to live the whole of life not for self but for the good of others. We are to cease from taking and we are to proceed in giving to those who are in need around us. Paul here does hone in upon the issue of thievery because I think it is such a wonderful example of a way of life that is completely selfish and self centered. What does the thief do? The thief only takes, he never gives. Thievery takes many forms. A thief will sometimes take from others by force. At other times, a thief will take by deceit or through manipulation. But whatever the means, the thief takes from others but does not give. A thief might work very hard at his thievery. He might be very diligent in it. But he does not engage in work properly speaking. To work, on the other hand, is to offer a service to others in exchange for a wage. Work also takes many forms, but all work has this in common. It gives so as to get. Some kind of service is rendered before compensation is received. This is work. It involves taking up service first and foremost before compensation is received. And here the apostle is exhorting us, saying that the Christian, having been renewed in Christ Jesus, must put away all forms of thievery. The Christian must abandon the practice of procuring wealth by means of taking from others, be it by force, by trickery, or by manipulation. And in the place, the thief must then work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with those in need. Do you see what the Apostle is doing here? He is urging us to take up a whole new way of life, To see that our life is to be lived not for self, not for our own gratification at the expense of others, but for others. We're to take up the posture of a servant in the whole of life. And not only is the Christian to engage in work, but notice the Apostle says that the Christian is to engage in honest work. Honest work is the standard for the Christian. There are some activities that might in fact qualify as work, a good or service might in fact be exchanged for a wage, but the work falls short of honest work. For example, the drug dealer is in fact compensated for providing a product to others. I suppose that what he does might indeed be called work, but it is not good or honest work, it is not productive work, for the product he provides leads to destruction and not the building up of others. And so brothers and sisters, we should think about the work that we do and ask, is it honest work? Before that, I suppose we should ask, is it work? Are we in fact being compensated by providing a good or service for others? And secondly, is it good, honest, and productive work? Does it build others up somehow? Now, are there situations where it, where it is appropriate for Christians to cease from work. I say yes. In the case of mental or physical disability, for example, the Christian may rightly cease from work. Uh, the Christian who has ceased from work for these reasons need not feel guilty as they read this text here. Paul is here presenting the general truth that Christians are to work, they are to serve others with their time and energy. And if it is true that you have ceased from work due to mental or physical ailment, I would encourage you to use your time and energy to serve others. And in so doing, you will fulfill the spirit of what the Apostle is here commanding. You are to serve others with your time and energy, even if you are not able to engage in work, properly speaking. Retirement is also a valid reason to cease from work. Retirement is a benefit that the worker has earned over time. But I would exhort the Christian who is retired to never retire from the service of others. Use your time and energy that you now have not to serve self but to serve others. Serve others in prayer. Find ways to meet needs within Christ's church and to build others up. And in so doing you will fulfill the spirit of what the Apostle is here commanded, what he is here commanding. To the parent who does not earn a wage but stays at home to to devote time to raising children, I say that your efforts are of great importance. Knowing when it is time for a parent to work outside the home requires wisdom and will differ from situation to situation. Again, I say parents who are blessed to cease from work, properly speaking, you are to use your time and energies to serve others. And in so doing, you also will fulfill the spirit of what the Apostle here commands. And what is the spirit of what the Apostle here commands? Once more, the one who has been recreated in Christ is no longer to live for themselves but for others. The thief is the epitome of the one who lives for himself. He takes and he takes but he does not give. This way of life, whatever form it takes, must be put away. And in its place, the Christian is to labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need to you brothers and sisters who are currently stuck in a job that is less than ideal or satisfying to you, I would encourage you to look for another job. But in the meantime, I would urge you to see that what you are doing is good. Indeed, it is very good, so long as the work is honest work for you are living according to the command of scripture by engaging in honest work you are being a productive member of society while providing for yourself and for those who are under your care this is good this is God honoring it gives glory to our God this is what he has designed us to do when he made us in his image now that we are fallen work is arduous The ground produces thorns and thistles, sometimes a lot of them. But it is good for us to engage in honest work, work that serves others somehow, work that is somehow productive, work that builds up. There is one little phrase that I have left off for the conclusion of this sermon. It is probably the most famous phrase in this passage. It's of great importance Paul urges the believer to put off the old self and to put on the new in thought, word, and deed so that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we are sealed for the day of redemption. That phrase is familiar you, I'm sure. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we are sealed for the day of redemption is the command of the apostle. Here in this little phrase, the apostle directs our thoughts back to the central issue If you are in Christ, you have been recreated by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have been sealed by Him. This means that He has put His mark on you. You belong to God. God will bring you safely home. This seal is the guarantee of it. He has guaranteed it with the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And water baptism, by the way, is the visible sign of this. And having been redeemed by Christ and belonging now to God, we are to live for Him in this world as members of His family, as citizens of His kingdom, and as a part of the new humanity that has been brought into existence by the work of the crucified and risen Son of God. Having been called by God to have faith in Christ, we are to now walk worthy of this calling. And when we fail to walk worthily, we fail, when we fail to lay aside the old self and to put on the new, the Spirit of God is in fact grieved within us. Now, of course, the Spirit is not grieved, properly speaking, for God does not change. He is not moved by anything external to Himself. He does not experience the passions that men experience. But we feel the effect of the Spirit's grief. That is why Paul uses this anthropopathic language to bring this point across to us that when we sin, God is grieved. The Spirit is grieved and we feel the effect of it. When we walk in the darkness, the Spirit of God is depressed within us, if you will. And you have felt that, haven't you? You have felt the chastisement of the Holy Spirit. You have felt the effects of 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 our sin, the Spirit being grieved within us. And when we walk in the light, the Spirit of God is overjoyed within us. And we feel the effects of that as well. Stated differently, the Spirit chastens us when we sin. He withdraws the joyous light of His countenance. And the Spirit rejoices within us when we obey the Lord in thought, word, and deed. Psalm 1. And with this I'll conclude. Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that you would graciously enable us to live in obedience to you, pure and simple. I pray for myself, my own family, my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here, that we would put thought to what we have heard today. That we would reflect upon our thinking and our speaking and our doing, and that we would ask, is it worthy? And if no, Lord, help us to resolve to obey you. Lord, we confess that we will make no progress at all in this unless you have renewed us, unless we are regenerate. We will make no progress at all in this unless you help us. And so we ask for your help. But Lord, move us to this place that we would resolve to never allow any words to proceed from our mouth that tear down, that we would resolve to take every thought captive, that we would resolve to do that which is good and pleasing before you, Lord. Help us to resolve to live holy lives. We trust that as we do, as we give attention to your word and seek to live in obedience to it, we will be truly blessed and happy, and you will be well pleased. Father, help us in these things, we pray in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all of God's people say, Amen.